You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Nice to Starting see you Starting spicy. Here. I like it. Yeah. I need to face you just in case I start sweating. No, Did no. You, I'm, he's withdrawing already? I'm, no, I'm not. He's with, I want to stare at you I'm in the eye. I'm going to chase you. I'm going to chase you. He's trying to make eye contact. Okay. Did you... Psychoanalyze anything that we just did? Have any? I was I was actually asking, could they replay the setup and we'll just analyze it together? No, 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 no. <laughs> How good was no, that first session? Nothing, there's nothing more comforting to me than when a married couple is able to laugh together about being uh, irritated and annoyed and frustrated with each other. That is what health looks like. Health is not the absence of conflict. Health is the welcoming of it. It's the safety in conflict. That is, man, I, if, if you ever run into a pastor, you guys, years down the road, you're in a different place, you run into a pastor who says that our marriage, we don't have conflict, run the other way. That is not trustworthy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we believe in rule number two time. here, around here. Rule number two, have fun. Mm-hmm. Rule number two. And you so bring you gotta that. Have, you got to have fun, right? That's a good rule for conflict. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'd rather, babe, let's just rip Band-Aids. Because you've been mad at me since like Friday. And I just want people to figure out, like, how do you get out of this mad cycle? Have I, though? Or did you just feel that? Baby, I think anyone that's been around us is feeling that. So there's some tension. It's not sexual tension. It's real tension. What? No, I'm serious. And I think it started, you know, we went to Luke Bryan trying to spoil her. I think it started there. And I already apologized for my comment, but it was before that. Like I said, babe. Which comment? Well, I said, Wow. I said, what color is eyes? And you're like, I don't know, but he's the 32 skinny jean. I'm like, why, why do you know his jeans? Like, how do you do that? I've been insecure since Friday. You know, it's like I try to spoil her, take her to Luke Bryan, and then the rest of the time, it's, I'm not Luke Bryan. So it's just like I felt like I let you down. But that was one. I'm getting past my insecurity there. But the, the bigger one is, no, seriously, I bought these tickets. I was telling you a little bit. It was kind of funny. She goes, oh, I'm going to hang out with so-and-so for a little bit. I'm like, oh, just hang out there, then come to my seat. There's four seats. I'm standing next to a dude. I was like, who wants to go to Luke Bryan standing next to another dude? That's just awkward. It was was, awkward. So she was having so much fun with my friend. She ditched me the whole time. Finally, she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. It's like one song left. And I said, you suck, which wasn't appropriate. But I was letting her know, I should have said, if if I would have called Brian for counseling first, he would have said, just let her know your feelings are hurt. And ask her for a hug. But in that moment, I'm with like cowboys. Came out. It you came suck. out. You suck. Um, and that just sent me on a perpetual thing I haven't recovered from. If you could help me figure out how to recover, because I did the thing like, sorry, I said that. Hey, you know, let's connect. Can I get a hug? And she's just been cold since Friday. So I really want to heal this thing because I love her, but the cold shoulder's not working out for me. I did worship music. I prayed. I told her to pray. That didn't work out well. That's his I mean, trip. every piece of advice so far, I'm train wrecking. Now, I could just touch her. And she goes, why are you touching me? So we're deep. He is very sensitive because that's his truth. I'm actually not mad anymore. <laughs> but you can counsel him. <laughs> See what I'm saying? That harsh. So when you have someone that's just cold and their hearts turn cold, how do we get back into a healing moment? I need moment? to start talking. Yeah, just, just go. Oh, I'm stuck in a cycle. Stop talking. It is. Uh, it's the calling of marriage in our lives to bring to the surface that which we don't want to own, right? Like that's what marriage does. Malachi chapter two actually says, um, 
God, not you. This is the message translation. God, not you invented marriage. I think a lot of times we walk into marriage like it was our idea. Like I picked you. Um, God, not you invented marriage. And what does God want from your marriage? But children of God. And he's not talking about procreation. Malachi is talking about your transformation. So, 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 so often, I think we confuse uh, sanctification as part of the salvation experience. That salvation is the moment in our life when our attitude, our belief systems, our posture towards God changes. That we come, we enter into a a life-saving relationship with God because we recognize who he is. Sanctification is a separate process. Sanctification does not happen in a moment. Sanctification is the process you enter into after salvation, which that is the process of us changing our attitude about who we are. Marriage is this really unique space. And just going back to what you said in the beginning, Dr. Matt, marriage, is, marriage doesn't offer you anything that you can't get outside of marriage. It just heats it up. It's just a crucible. It's just concentrated. But marriage is this unique space There are things you get to enjoy in marriage that you don't enjoy outside of marriage. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the growth possibilities, just to be clear. Um, But marriage is this unique space where a person gets so close that they mirror back to me my own fear. That like when I go to my wife and I say, nothing I ever do is good enough for you. That's actually me saying, I struggle with the fear that I'm not good enough. Marriage is reflecting back to me my own in unwholeness, my own gaps. And, and those, that's sacred space. And obviously, uh, it, it contains in it the potential to be like a healing, transforming space. What was your question? <laughs> I think Listen. he was trying to ask how marriage in that situation makes what do you us do? better. He said, what do I do? How do we get out of that cycle? Yeah, what I realized do? I said something yeah. dumb. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, like, if, we, if we think... If we think marriage wants to grow me up, that's what marriage wants. It wants a whole, integrated, healthy, holy child of God. Then adulthood always starts with taking responsibility for your life. It always takes responsibility for your thoughts, your feelings, and your attitudes. And so me going to my wife after a conflict and saying, sweetheart, I'm sorry about my anger. I'm sorry the way my anger came out. Don't apologize for being angry. But say, I am really sorry about the way that I was angry. I'm sorry that I cut you down. I'm sorry that my tone was so harsh. I'm sorry that I felt probably so hostile. Can I ask a question? What, does this count? I'm sorry that you were angry. Mm. I feel like they don't even no need to answer that game. question. They already know. Their laughter tells me they know the answer to they that know, question. They know the answer. You know, honestly, that's why I hold this in my pocket. It says, check yourself before you wreck yourself, and it's That's a mirror. A good word. So whenever she says that, I just go, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. She loves it's me. She okay. said, yes, she's committed for life. Thank you, Jesus. You should all get one if you're a man married to a feisty woman. Oddly Did, enough, that's that what help? we need, though, isn't it? We need, we need somewhere else to go to reassure ourselves that we're okay. If my, if my partner's offline, if my spouse is over threshold is the is the nerdy way we say it right like the stress is over their threshold so they've gone into a self-protective state they've gone into a limbic mode they're not able to be responsive to my needs in that moment if i'm stressed out if i'm overwhelmed if i am not how do you how you know if you are overwhelmed how do you know 
I'm not gentle. I'm not compassionate. I'm not curious. I'm not listening. If I'm not listening, then I'm overwhelmed too. I don't care how detached from your emotions you think you are, guys. They are not freaking out and you're calm. That is a false description of the scenario. Unless I am curious, compassionate, and listening, I'm overwhelmed too. So we need an alternate place to go. We need another source to co-regulate with, if we're going to use fancy, another source to turn to and realize, okay, I'm okay. I don't need them to be happy with me right now. I can handle that. They can think that, uh, they can be angry. They can think that I suck. They can say that, and I'm still whole, healthy, and worthy of love. I still belong. I'm still safe. Um, And so obviously, what is, what is the, the secret weapon that we as believers have, that God is always available. God is always online. He is always accessible. And he is always there to tell you that you are worthy, you are loved, you are safe, and you belong at all times. So if we can access that, then we have the ability to switch postures and move from what we call uh, threat and withdrawal into a state of approach and engage, which is a state of courage, it's a state of vulnerability, it's, it's a state of curiosity. Um, but so often, we're both armored up, mm-hmm. and from our armor, we're trying to break the cycle. You know, there's, um, uh, I think it's Ephesians that says, submit yourselves one to another as unto Christ. There's a mutual dance of vulnerability that God's calling us to. It's not, it has nothing to do with spiritual headship. It is mutual, vulnerable submission. And what we do is we stay in one of two dances. There's only two options. We are in mutual self-protection or mutual vulnerability. So if I take on vulnerability, the chances are, what was, you said something in the, somebody said something in the very beginning. Um, I think it was Tanae. She was talking about, I'll give more when I have more. Mm. That's what fear and scarcity sounds like. Abundance sounds like um, because I have all that I need, I can give you what you need right now. Right? It's a different posture. And, And what we want, we want our spouse to show us the last thing that we want to show them. I want you to show me your vulnerability so that I'll show you mine. And the reality is it's the thing that they're looking for to know that they're safe. Does that make sense? I have a question about the marriage being a safe place because you talked about that in the last service a little bit. So is, if the marriage is healthy and safe place how it should be, can one spouse be the one to say, hey, I think you're overwhelmed, or is that the wrong thing to say? Or how would you be the person to point that? If they're just, because oftentimes I get overwhelmed myself and I don't even realize it, and I just start acting stressed and it's annoying to him. But then I'm like, he, I don't know, I'm, in, I'm like in a blind spot. But then sometimes when he says I'm overwhelmed, I'm like, no, I'm not. This is a stressed. really important question. I'm leaning in. But I just. I, I want to learn. <laughs> I'm helping you, babe. But Lord, I'm just, because me. also I've noticed there's times where I pick up on when he's stressed, so then I'm more delicate in the way that I say things or do things. And so I, I act appropriately. But what's the healthy way to do that with your partner? That's, that's like the genius of marriage, right. is that I can say the right words, but if my heart is not in alignment with those words, your brain can sniff it, and it doesn't create safety. <laughs> So if I say to my spouse, what's wrong? You seem overwhelmed. 
and she can sense a posture of judgment. That's the problem right there. Altar call. Let's just do an altar call. You know, it's something that I've tried to shift even in the way that I parent my kids. Just yesterday, my girls were working on an art project together. Bring me back to what you said if I forget. They were working on an art project together and they had some artistic um, differences in their vision. And they got really flooded and my nine-year-old stormed out and I heard it and I walked into the room she was in and she was flooded. She was just tears coming down her face. Is that a safe word? Can I use that? Flooded? Flooded. It's a safe word. That, that feels like a trap. Let me come back. It depends on the context. Duh. So she's feeling big feelings. Both of my girls are big feelers. They feel, they feel things deep. And the first words out of my mouth yesterday was, honey, what's wrong? And I immediately, I think, why? That is the wrong question. Not only am I indicating to her that my assessment of her behavior, her emotion, is that something's wrong. I'm also training her to think, what's wrong? I'm like this because something went wrong. And so I immediately, I catch myself, sweetie, what's going on? What do you need? And I want to help her ask that question. Okay, I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. What do I need? Because here's the bottom line. What happens when we get overwhelmed is our brain goes from the prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that's calm, all the fruits of the spirit, those all are functions of the prefrontal cortex. Self-control, gentleness, um, list them off for me. Peace, patience, self-control. I only know them in joy, order. Joy, joy, yes. Peace, patience, self-control. Those are all functions of the prefrontal cortex. When I get overwhelmed, my brain switches gears. It goes from what we were talking about. It goes from approach and challenge, approach and engage, meaning I'm safe. And it goes into limbic, a limbic state, which is defend and withdraw. And so as soon as we go into that place, uh, the limbic brain takes over. And, and what before... My um, daughter asked her before, I, I don't want her to ask the question, what's wrong? What I want her to do is realize, oh, I'm overwhelmed. And what I need is support. Mm. When your brain gets back engaged, you get back into your prefrontal cortex, you probably know the answer to your question. Mm-hmm. You probably don't need somebody to give you advice. 99% of the time, we do not need advice. Yeah. Most of the time, what we need is someone to say, you're not alone. Right which gives us the courage to go out and risk. It gives us the courage to engage a threat. It gives the courage to be courageous in the situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Philippians 4 is, is one of the most beautiful neuroscience roadmaps. So good. Philippians 4 says, be anxious for nothing. And I love the, that Paul worded it that way. He said, be anxious for nothing. He didn't say, never feel anxiety. He didn't say, resist feeling afraid. He said, don't be anxiety. He said, don't identify with your anxiety, right? And then he gives you the solution. He says, but with prayer and supplication, identify what it is you need and direct it to a source that can meet your need. With thanksgiving, y'all, gratitude is the antidote to fear. I'm going to say it from the beginning. Um, be anxious for nothing. It's right there. <laughs> Thank you. Make your request known to God, and the peace that passes all understanding will calm your heart and your mind in Christ. There is a calming effect 
that happens when we follow this roadmap. This roadmap is the same roadmap. You know, like everybody in therapy, everybody in the psychological, it's a very insecure field, y'all. Psychology is a very insecure field. They, everybody wants you to know that their unique insight, this thing that they figured out that nobody else does as well as them. And, and what I really look for in the different theories of therapy is I look for what's the same, because if they're all saying it, there's probably something true about it. And all roadmaps have the same, you know what? Before we can choose differently, we must be aware of what's happening, which I call orient. I have to orient, I have to be, okay, I'm scared. I'm operating in scarcity, I'm operating in fear, I'm defended. Then I have to redirect. Where do I take this need so that I can actually downregulate? I can calm my nervous system because that's the problem. And he gives us the roadmap right there. The verse right after that is whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just. Because Paul knows when I go into a limbic state, I lose my executive functioning and I lose the ability to think right. And so he's saying, redirect your attention onto the things that you know are stable and just and good and true and noble. And it brings us back into the, uh, into the present, empowers us, and now we can respond. Now, we were just talking about, because Pastor Leanne just posted something on fear. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we were backstage, huh? Yeah. That was a game-changing moment for me, Pastor Leanne. She posted this. You guys got to look it up for yourself. If you are subscribed to one thing on Instagram, yeah. let it be Pastor Leanne. <laughs> It's this brilliant thing. It's really rapid. I don't know how she does this in so few words, but she's talking about when Moses ascends the mountain of Sinai and he's gone too long and the people of Israel are in the wilderness and they get scared and Aaron is trying to lead and he's not equipped to lead. And she says this thing. She says, the people needed to be led by faith, but Aaron wasn't able to do it. So they were led by fear. And you scroll to the next window and it says, and the outcome is always idolatry. And if you have those like landmark moments in your life where somebody says something so clear and so concise that you immediately re-see everything. You're like, I can see that everywhere. Yeah. Pastor Leanne, that is addiction. That is stuckness in marriage. Everything. Idol, what is idolatry? Idolatry is when I misplace my trust. Is when I put my trust in something that actually can't bear it. And so we do the exact same thing in our marriages. You know, all of us, all of us to different degrees, but all of us come into marriage with wounds. Wounds can be, in a very, very counterintuitive way, wounds can actually be comforting. Wounds can be the pain and the forecasting, the fear forecasting that don't expect people to show up for you, don't expect to feel loved, don't expect to have agency in your life, don't expect to feel safe. If I assume those are true, they, they uh, protect me from being disappointed, don't they? If I assume that you're gonna disappoint me, I cut myself off from the past and I don't give you the opportunity to do it. And in a way, we get into marriage and we want to feel connected, but we're actually nurturing this wound. And it's a kind of idolatry, isn't it? It's a kind of like, I'm going to protect this pain because letting go of it feels too risky. I've misplaced my trust. What we're doing in marriage, the work of marriage is re-engaging, re, uh, reconnecting with my own vulnerability and bringing it somewhere to have an experience of safety in the pain that actually changes the neural map in my brain. It actually changes the way my brain codes the threat. Does that make sense? I go too off the road. No, no, oh I gosh. love it. I want incredible. For, for all the people that are single or if they think, oh, marriage, this, marriage, that, you know, we had an encounter with a lady at uh, this conference we were just at, and she talked about uh, this book, and it was Loving Your Kids Isn't Enough. Wow. And then she went in and role-played with us, 
And she said the most three dangerous words are what, why, and if. And, or it was you. So, like, even this morning I said, you know, why are you so cold? She goes, didn't you learn anything from that woman? I said, obviously not. But, uh, you know, it's amazing I because... I said, did you mean to ask for a hug? And he said, yeah, that's what I meant. Thanks, And you babe. got a hug. And then I got a hug. See? Think first. Take every thought captive. Use your Bible. But it was amazing because when we're younger, every time we speak to our kids... We are programming our kids. So some of the things that I'm saying now is just this programming. And if we don't renew our mind, if we don't take every thought captive, whether you're single, married, engaged, you, we got to listen to what we're about to say. Because most of the stuff why I've been in the doghouse is because I said something dumb that started off with that triggered something for her that I just need to work on what I say or how I form it or how I, so I don't trigger her into this, but come from a different place. And it was amazing because every time I took inventory over the last 36 hours, I used one of those three words that was slashing instead of edifying and building. And so it was just, I don't want people to keep hearing marriage and check out because you're training right now. Yep. That's right. Everything of what type of husband or wife you're going to be. And if you're not listening, and parent, if you're not listening to your language or listening to how you speak to people, it will affect um, how that works out. And like you said, marriage Absolutely. is a crucible, and what's ever in you will come out quicker during marriage. It comes so, out quicker, so yeah. So grateful. I was, just, I was just working with um, really just courageous, amazing young adult woman. I think she's kind of in her late 20s. She's single, and she's processing a conflict, a, a tension that's growing in this really in, in a friendship of hers. And she's as we're processing this together, she's like, I think I'm realizing this friend is actually kind of emotionally abusive. And she's like, I think I need to step away from this. Yeah. And it's that is a transformative moment. That is a moment a woman is doing the exact same work that her marriage would have called her to do three or four or five years down the road. And she's thinking about, okay, what does it sound like to go to this friend and boundary myself and say, this isn't okay. If you engage in this way, I'm going to leave the conversation. I'm not going to do that with you. That is the same work. We, any place, any place where pain, fear, defensiveness, attack comes out, your heart is saying, what, we've got fear here. We need to figure out what's going on. Absolutely. Inside or outside of marriage. Yeah, we had a lot of that in our first few years of marriage, even in our own parents that we had to work through and the relationship that I had with my mom and the relationship that he has with his mom. And there was just things that we need to reset in friendships. Like I had all these girlfriends that was, were not healthy for our marriage. Toxic. He uses toxic. I say he's not healthy. Um, toxic. But we had to, we had to do that. Um, because the Bible says to leave and cleave and to your spouse. And that was, that was a roller coaster ride, I'm telling you. But if you can make sure your friendships before you get married are healthy and you have, can you say what you said in the first service about the positive and the negative and then cut, cut off the... Yeah, just as a general rule in our life, I, um, and I'm somebody who sits with people in their pain. That's my job. So if anybody should be able to say this and be like, this is not a, a mean thing to do, it's me. If you take an assessment of all the loudest voices, the, the voices you spend the most time with in your life, and you scale them on a scale of one to 10, from negative to positive, one, the, neg the most negative would be one, and the most positive would be 10, or if you want to do it negative 10 to, negative, to positive 10, or whatever. I would ask the question, 
if they fall under the halfway mark, why, why do we even guard space for them in our life? And I'm not saying you should never talk to your mom, but you shouldn't talk to her twice a day. You're renewing your mind with something. What are you renewing your mind with? Yeah, and a lot of times what would happen with us is I would be angry about something with him and I would share with someone, a friend, or even my mom, and then we work through it. I forgive him, but then they still are left with it. Yeah. And then they hold these offenses on my behalf. And I'm like, wait a minute, we're better, we're good. That's so good. When you think about who you, A, marriage is about um, relearning how to do safe, secure belonging. Marriage is about experience of belonging. That's what marriage is. And so when you think, okay, when we rump into roadblocks in our marriage, you all will, if you're ever married, um, who do we process those things with? Because that's really helpful. A, A community of two is by definition an isolated community, right? We should never do marriage all by ourselves. Yeah. We should have trusted voices in our life that mentors and people that, um, peers that we, we feel safe with. How do I know if somebody is safe to process the hard stuff in my marriage? There's a few things. One, do they point me back to empathy? Do they point me back to, man, what do you think she was feeling when she did that? What do, you, what do you think, is there something that you might have done that like caused her to feel defensive? Caused her to raise her voice? Caused her to react? They're going to point you back to empathy and they're always going to point you back to responsibility. They're always going to bring you back to, okay, how can you show up differently? If, they, if you share something painful and they say, they did what? Oh, no, they didn't. You should not put up with that. They that's might why, be right. That's why I pray for every hairstylist. Yeah. Do you imagine they just have to sit there and take it and take it? (laughs) Oh. That was my ADD. I'm sorry. They should point you back. Either they should listen quietly and empathize with your pain. Man, I get it. That sounds really hard. And shut up. Or they should point you back to empathy and responsibility and curiosity. Yeah. I was saying earlier, like, he needs a 1-800 number. So you call it, one hundred. If you've just been in a fight with your spouse, press one. Here's what you say. Press two if you have anxiety or fear. Press three if you said something dumb. Here's how you get out of it. I would call you every day. You know what's been great though, honestly, and I, I know this because I work in the world, and then I'm in this pastoral world, and it's amazing because friends that don't have this, I call it Christianese, and it's like when you get saved, you suddenly you get, um, you feel like you're going to be judged if you get real. But my friends in the world, I mean, they'll drop an F-bomb in front of me. They'll tell me all the dumb things. They're doing. They just have no filter. And so I feel like I can speak into their life and they receive it. It's amazing because Christians, the minute like, and it was so weird for me. She did not grow up in the church. I did. The minute we had our first, you know, knockdown drag out, she threw the shoe at me. It stuck in the wall. It was a crazy night. The first thing she wanted to do is call Pastor Leanne. The last thing I wanted to do was have her call Pastor Leanne. Yep. I and think I did call Pastor she Leanne. She did call Pastor Leanne, but next thing you know, we're interrupting a date night. We're getting counseling. But I realized that I had so much, wherever this came from, and I know there's spiritual warfare around it, because it's like the longer you are a Christian, the more we guard letting anyone else in our world, because, well, we want to pretend we have everything perfect. Absolutely. But if I didn't have pastors that were so 
open, vulnerable, and the real deal, I would have been living this fake Christian life where the good news is I married a girl that had zero Christianese in her. And so she was just every time. But how do we develop that culture within here that we learn to vulnerability, get there when we have this Christianese thing that we want to say everything's great, but we tell no one until we see papers come across the desk. Well, I can't can't imagine a better pathway to that kind of culture than pastors who stand up on a stage and say, we're going to have our counselor come up on stage. That is leadership. That is vulnerability. That is health. That is, that's a culture defining gift. Um, And that's something you feel from the very top. I I tried to covertly sneak into Pastor Jurgen and Leanne's interview last week at Bressy, and they called me out. And unfortunately, Pastor Leanne is here today because I was going to plagiarize all their insight as if it was mine. (laughs) But you see it, you see that vulnerability and that joy from the very top. And there's no, I think there's nothing more powerful than that. I mean, below that, then we have to create opportunities to actually experience that ourselves. Have you ever heard of a connect group? If you guys aren't in a connect group, that's a place where we get vulnerable with each other. If, if, if you're in a group like that and nobody's getting vulnerable, they're all asking the same question. They're all at who's going to go first. Because I see the dominoes fall every single time when we like start a new group or um, something like it, maybe a therapy group or a workshop. Everybody's looking around. Everybody is dying to be known, you guys. Everybody wants to feel less alone in their pain. So when you show up and you say, yeah, we literally had a fight on the way here, which was my story with Sarah when we did our very first workshop as facilitators. This is like maybe 10 years ago. We did our very first workshop. It was a couple's workshop. And we're driving there, and she's criticizing my um, aggressive, inappropriate driving, to be fair. And I'm getting super defensive, and by the time we walk into the thing, I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even remember the curriculum. I don't even know how to lead this anymore. Um, And we just started by telling that story, and everybody's armor just came up. Why? Because it created permission, and that that was like heat in the moment. That was real time. But it's a gift. We're all craving to see that. That's, there's nothing unique. The, the only thing that is really, really dangerous to marriage, the only thing that I think outside of overt, unacceptable abuse, the only thing that will end a marriage is hopelessness. Disconnection, trauma, infidelity, these things will wound marriages deeply and take sometimes years to fully, fully heal. But the only thing that will end a marriage is when you give up hope and you say, there is no hope here. This case is dead on arrival. It's time to move on. Wow. And that comes from isolation. That comes from feeling all alone. There's something unique about us. We're different. I married somebody in which the scenario is just hopeless. That will, that will end your marriage. But going through something hard or finding out, I, um, I just... I'm planning this really cool celebration with uh, a couple that came up to me after the getaway last year. Um, He confessed 10 years of hidden behavior to his wife. Really, really remarkable story. And and the two other therapists that have been working as a treatment team with this couple were actually getting together um, in the first week of March as as a kind of termination session to celebrate this transformation they've been into. And they're not in a place 
They're not in a place where they trust each other. They're in a place where trust is so secondary. Trust is so automatic. Trust is so intuitive. They are thriving in their friendship. That's what happens. You know, it's really, it's interesting for me. And I know I'm talking a lot. I'll, I'll wrap it up. You it's can keep talking all morning. You're helping us. When, uh, when I think back to the, to the catalyst, the event that started me um, into being a therapist, which was about 13, 14, maybe 14 years ago, I was unfaithful. And, and that, was, that was like an impossible event in my mind. That was an absolute impossibility. I, that, I was the little kid who like, when my, when my buddies are dreaming about being soldiers, I'm like, I'm gonna be an amazing husband. I was a weird kid. We, I grew up in a home that my house, my, my parents had gone through four divorces by the time I was 12 years old. And I was just like, if there's nothing else in my story, I'm gonna do that right. And so early, early in our marriage, we were unhealthy. We didn't know it. We had blind spots. We got really unhealthy. And I went through this, uh, this journey of infidelity. And I came, I, I, God just completely transformed, not just our marriage, he transformed my life. And it's hard for me because if somebody asked me, man, if you could, would you go back and not do that? If I could go back and not have Sarah go through that, yes. I would love for Sarah to have never gone through that. But if you think, I wouldn't give it up for me. It was the most, the most transformative experience was for the, for the disowned fears that I carry to come to the surface in such an undeniable way that gave me no choice but to face my own duplicity and my own fear. It was a gift. And that's what marriage offers all of us. You don't need to go through some sensational sin to have your marriage be a catalyst for your transformation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, uh, I'm so grateful for you. You know, we've been doing this a lot of years and it's really been uh, exposing a lot of blind spots. It's made me a better husband, a better, you know, a better parent. But if we can translate it to, you know, what are some things, where do we start? You know, some people like, you know, just don't know where to get unstuck. They, it's like the cycle of stuckness. That's where I've been for 36 hours. And, you know, and you've <laughs> given me skills. But how do we get unstuck when we're in that tension point where no matter what I say, even if I try to touch it, he's like, don't touch me. It's like, whoa. I said, why are you so cold? That didn't work out either. So I just feel like I'm going to my library of defeat instead of my victory. If you can get me back on the victory library, that would help. Absolutely. Help him, Dr. Brian. Help him. You know, one of, the, one of the really beautiful things about marriage and one of the things I love so, so much about the work I get to do is that uh, when you sit with, you know, 10 couples, you very, very quickly think, oh, man, we're all. I, do, I don't know where you fall on the spectrum of pain or on the spectrum of stuckness, but we're all fighting the same battle. There's a cycle, and you can see it play out in God's Word. There's a cycle where there's a cycle of healing where love, an experience of love, activates a deeper sense of responsibility. As I feel loved, the, I have the courage to take deeper responsibility for my own heart, my own thoughts, my own experience, my behavior. And that responsibility creates freedom for my spouse. And that's, there's a cycle of love, responsibility, and freedom that feeds itself. Or we can get to a cycle that's the exact opposite, where a wound, where pain imprisons me 
in self-protective behaviors, the more pain I'm in, the more limited to these defensive coping strategies, the more limited to withdrawal or more limited to accusation or the more limited to defensiveness I get, the more wounded I get, which leads to uh, a lack of responsibility, right? Like the less free I am, the less responsibility I take for my behavior, which leads to more wounds. And so when you think, man, I'm stuck, I'm stuck in that place, I think the most powerful thing you can do is going back to what Alex Klott said before he handed over the mic, he said, turn to your spouse and say, this was for me. The most, one of the most powerful things you can do for your spouse is after you leave here, if you feel stuck, turn to your spouse and tell them, that was for me. They were talking to me. I know that I, know that I armor up when I'm hurt. I know that I send messages to you and I treat you in a way, and I can feel hostile or accusational or defensive. I can feel a million miles away, and I'm sorry. If you can show them your armor and show them that you see it, you instantaneously start to create safety for them. Now, maybe that's not you. Lord willing, you're not in a more stuck place, and maybe you're in a better place, and you just kind of feel like we're in a rut. What are things that we can do that bring energizing, that bring like that just like re-energize our connection. And there's three things that, um, that I think are almost always powerful for us. The first one, the first one is private. The first one is an intervention for your own heart. And that's gratitude. That if you feel kind of flatlined, if you feel kind of apathetic in your marriage, think about things that make you really grateful for your spouse. Um, I always think back to this moment a few years ago my wife reminds me of it too, uh, where I was so frustrated because my wife was in a habit of leaving mugs in our car. We were poor in the beginning of our marriage. We had one car, and there were these mugs. I would get into the car, and, and all there would be like two, three, four, seven mugs in the car. Oh, she's indicting herself. That's brilliant. You see that? Mike, that's freedom, brother. That's, that's safety. And I remember... I remember getting into the car one day and having this frustration just like get triggered and I'm sitting there like, what the heck do I have to do to get my wife to clean up the mugs after herself? And and I remember the Lord just really gently rebuking the junk out of me and saying, you know, Brian, those mugs are in there because you've asked your wife to save money. You've asked her to cut back on Starbucks. And so every day she does something that she doesn't want to do she brings coffee to work from her, from home, because she wants to honor you. And it shifts the whole moment, doesn't it? All of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden my heart is filled with this humility and this gratitude and a little bit of shame. And I bring the mugs in and my wife was still, still in the kitchen. I brought the mugs in and I was putting them down. She's like, oh shoot, I'm sorry, babe. I was like, honey, I am so thankful for you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being a partner that builds our, our life and I can, that supports me and I can rely on. Gratitude is a powerful intervention for your own heart. An intervention that works very well interpersonally is curiosity. 
I think it's the most underrated, because we all know that, you know, flattery and, and, and expressing, like giving a gift or, or expressing honor, expressing love, we know those things positively. We really underestimate curiosity. Curiosity is a posture that communicates non-judgment and value at the same time. When I'm just curious, like, man, you know, you've said to me before, you said that you really, you always wanted to, um, you always wanted to live in this state. Is that true? Is that still true? Do you still think about that? Or you used to, you used to think about it. Who do you consider your best friends in your life now? Pausing, sitting down with the intention of, I'm just going to be really curious about what's going on in your heart. What is the, what is the, how is the map inside your heart changing over time? It's a really powerful way to communicate value to your spouse. And then you think, okay, so we went from private to interpersonal. And now on a social scale, one of the most powerful things that we forget to do is honor Building your spouse up publicly is a powerful, ladies, I don't know of a more powerful intervention in the heart of a man than when he hears his wife say something to other people like, oh my gosh, man, I'm just so thankful for Brian. He's just, he, he loves us so well. He's so kind with the girls. He's so courageous. He's so vulnerable. Like when she's building me up, he works so hard. I literally feel like, bring it on. I could take any giant right now. There's no voice in my life that's more powerful than my wife's. Those three, gratitude, curiosity, and honor, they're easy, they're free, they're accessible at all times. Yeah. Oh my goodness. How good was that? Incredible. Only 40 seconds over. And look at that. That's good. Let's do it. Well, I want you to pray for everybody. You mind if Absolutely. we all do that? Let's all stand to our feet. How good was that? And I want us to... I'm going to have Dr. Brian pray over us. <sighs> Sign up for Emerge, man. That's all I'm saying. That's like a year of counseling in three days. We could just all get together. We could talk about this session around the campfire. Just sign up. Help I will us. say, like, what Dr. Matt is saying is actually very, very true. When, when people come and want to work with me around addiction, the first thing I'm going to tell them is I want, to get to, I want you to get into a group, a group setting with other men who are struggling with this because that is more powerful. I could be the most talented, charismatic, intelligent therapist in the world, but the experience of shared vulnerability, shared disarm, shared safety is more powerful than it an experience like Emerge, and I got, to, I got, I'll be there this year. Last year, I just got to visit really quickly for one day. Um, I remember showing up, and oh, I'm not even, I'm not even gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna take away from that week. There's nothing more powerful than that. But let me just pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you have not lost track of our wholeness. I thank you so much that you are not discouraged. Your heart is not downtrodden. You are not hopeless. You are optimistic. You see the pathway. You see our wholeness. You see our breakthrough. You see our healing, even if we don't. God, I pray for every marriage in this room. And I ask for new revelation that you are in the middle of that marriage. Even if it feels stuck, if it feels broken, if it feels like it's filled with pain, Lord, I want you, I ask you to show those couples that you are right there with them, that you can be trusted, that you, they, you will guide them, that you have a plan for that pain yes. that is redemptive, restorative, that reconciles them to their own heart, to you and to each other. Lord, I wanna pray against hopelessness. 
want to pray in the power of your name, Lord. I bind hopelessness and ask for a revelation where there is fear, we would see it and we would feel oriented and we would reach out and access the safety that only you can provide us, Lord. And I pray for everybody else. If they're single, if they're young, And Lord, for the same revelation that you are with us, that you have a plan for our pain, you have a plan for our wholeness, and you have not lost sight. We pray this and trust this in your name. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.